0: Welcome back to The Bull, The Bear, and My Brother's Chair. I got to admit, Brian, we've been a little off kilter here on our... Kind of our... Our cadence. Our cadence. We got the <laughs> summer, You got... You know, people are gone. It's harder to get them in the office in terms of guests. And so our cadence has been a bit off, which I know people are like, what's going on? Why?"
1: Not too far off, but just a bit. That's what I feel like. I feel like, you know, it's it'd be like releasing the new series of Ozark... And only four episodes, and then you know, episode five comes out three weeks right. later, and like right. everybody's up in arms, like where's the bull bear chair? They're podcast so it Was supposed to be here on right. July twelfth. So excited. So but we apologize a for bit that. Upset. Yeah. So I get we've it. we've had a lot of uh, a lot of fans, you know, hitting us up on social media, like where's today's Where podcast? It's it's not easy being podcast juggernauts.
0: I had one guy the other day that listens to it. Occasionally, he's a guy I golf with. He That's said, hey, the guy? What, what are you guys, uh, not one guy, I've got <laughs> millions, but one guy. He said, uh, are you guys going to do another season? And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, we're in the middle of a season. He's like, oh, really? I haven't, I haven't listened this season. I'm like, come on, you got to come into this knowing we're in a season. So anyway, uh, but on today's guest, before we talk for yeah. a few minutes, uh, is a gentleman. He's an attorney, a gentleman that we work with that that helps us with uh, legal and other matters and business matters. Mr. Uh, Beau McGraw, who owns a law firm here in town. Yeah. And he's going to talk to us about business owners what should they be doing, not only to start a business, but on an ongoing basis? Uh, something that I would bet lots of business owners are not doing, okay. which is keeping things up to date, uh, you know, minutes, books, and records in the event there's an issue, things happen. It's kind of like, you know, working with clients on estate planning, right? Do you have a will? Yeah, you know, I think I have one. <laughs> when, sure. was it, when was it drafted? Mm, probably 12 years ago when my children were six and 10. Now they're in college. Things are different. I think I drafted in Florida. Uh-huh. Now I live in Minnesota. And so it's that business formation, ongoing, keeping up and doing the things we need to do.
1: Well, the ongoing piece and all that too is Um, you almost have to do it on a calendar year because six weeks after I update trust documents or beneficiary forms, I'm not overly certain even what I did anymore. Like you just, you almost have to set any business things like that on a calendar year and just do them and go through them because you you can't remember a week after you perhaps
0: have the old paper binder where you can actually get at it and flip through it and look at it. That's kind of what I need in my life.
1: So let's talk a little bullish, bearish. Uh, would you like to start? I'm going to start because I'm going to head out uh, a little early today, and the, I'm going to. I got to go get go to a meat shop, and I'm getting ribs. I'll tell you why. What I'm bullish on is barbecuing in the summertime. You own a grill? Yeah, several. Do you use? it? <laughs> Do you use it a lot? Uh, one is propane
0: based. Oh, oh, okay, and one is pellet. Electric based. I thought you were gonna
1: say charcoal. I was gonna no, throw no, the no, flag I the on charcoal that thing.
0: I, I can't do the charcoal. It takes too long.
1: All right. So I also in the winter time I don't grill. It's, this is Minnesota we're in. Like you don't stand outside and grill. I'm sure some hardcore people do, but I don't. Summertime I grill a ton. And I'm not a great chef by any means, but I enjoy it. I also bought a pellet smoker. I got a uh, Pit Boss Sportsman. So Pit Boss wants to sponsor us, you certainly reach out. But uh, last week I had my first endeavor with it. You know what I did? I found this was- Took it e- out of the box. <laughs> no. I No. I bought it in September. I took it out of the box uh, about a month ago. But I made what they said is the easiest starter recipe, which is beer can chicken. Cut. So you, you know what that is? It probably involves a beer can and a chicken,
0: but I have no idea what it is beyond
1: that. <laughs> so you, you, I bought two chickens because I have this beer can holder, and you basically put the chicken over the top of the beer can, about a half full beer. <laughs> it's a can? <laughs> yeah. It's like you you pour out, which I I poured out half the beer. Yeah. All right, fine. I drank half the beer. Then I put the chicken over the top of it, and you just stick it in the smoker, and you just let it go. <clears throat> so I made that, and as I started it, I went into my house and my wife's like, what are you making and when's it going to be done? I'm like, a few hours. And she's like, okay. Well, about an hour and a half into it, she takes out three frozen pizzas. And I'm like, what are you doing? And she's like, I'm not so confident that it's going to turn out. And the kids are hungry and I'm hungry. So she just caved in and made frozen pizzas. Perfect. I did take the chicken off at 8 o'clock at night. So it did take a little longer than expected. And it was phenomenal. So I am moving up this did weekend. Did you eat it that night or did you save it or what? <laughs> no, I had to make it the next day because so I already eaten frozen pizza. I didn't even have enough faith in my own smoke, to be totally honest. <laughs> but, so this weekend I'm graduating to ribs and I'm really yes. looking forward to it. And I know a lot of people are like real smokers and you turn the knobs and, and you like manually control the temperature and feed more wood chips. I'm not that guy. I add the pellets in. And I'm really looking forward to the process I'm going to use, which do you know what the preferred internet rib process is? No. <laughs> three, two, one. I'm not totally sure what that, that means. Mean? It's like three hours, two hours, one hour. I got to go back to Google to figure that out. But like, I'm pretty stoked about it. So nothing better than on a nice day, standing by the grill or the smoker, enjoying your favorite beverage and taking it in the weather.
0: All right, I like that. I'm not much of a grill master, but I do enjoy the uh, the, the pellet thing. is easy. Mm. It's uh, convenient, and I do enjoy it. What was Ooh. the
1: first thing that you cooked on your pellet? First smoker? thing I cooked
0: on my pellet cooker was my wife. This is like I think it was like <laughs> Easter or something. She bought like an already baked ham, like a honey baked ham, and I warmed it up on my pellet so smoker. You
1: smoked a cooked <laughs> ham. I did. I
0: did. <laughs> That's, <laughs> uh, anyway, mine is a little more oriented towards uh, what we're going to talk about with Bo, which is entrepreneurship. And if you think about the last two years, do you think more businesses or less businesses have started in the last two years than, let's say, previous years?
1: In the last two years? I'm going to say that more
0: have. That is an <laughs> accurate statement. And if I looked on the interwebs, um, I just simply looked at, you know, how many businesses have started. I don't know if that means... LLC Incorporation, who knows? But this is what it says. It looks like a reasonable, roughly back in like 19 and 20, or excuse me, 18 and 19, were like three to three and a half million new business filings mm-hmm. in a year. 2020, it jumped up a little. and 2021, it went to 5.4 million. So that's really? a substantial from three, three and a half to five and a half yep. is substantial. Now, the downside to that, is that, you know, you read online that 90% of businesses fail. Yep. It says here that um, 20% of those fail within the first year or two. Yeah, they never even got started. Makes sense, right? Mm -hmm. I got an idea, whatever. Uh, And then it says, this statistic says 75% of them fail within 10 years.
1: Once they actually get started. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Does it fail? Do they quit? Who knows? But so anyway, the point is lots of people, new ideas. I mean, the world has changed dramatically. There's all kinds of things popping up, which is cool. Right. I mean, that's uh, I think that's promising. It doesn't feel very good right now in this economy that we're kind of currently into in terms of the market and what's happening. But certainly we've seen, I mean, over the last two years, look at all the big businesses that have popped up in the last two
1: years. And it's it's you know, we were talking about that the other day of for whatever reason, there's it seems to be that people have re kind of calibrated their free time. Yes, throughout Rona. <clears throat> and what well, I don't even know what I used to be so busy doing, but it gave you this kind of renewed sense of what do I want to do with my free time. So I think a lot of businesses that are started are people who have totally. jobs, but they've just got another thing they want to work on and it's their hobby. And yep. so that's what they're doing. And you got doing.
0: things like Etsy and <clears throat> eBay, all yeah. those things happening where people are going to have businesses, but they don't have to, you know, hire 10 people. Right, they can, it's easier to get your product out yeah, and there they incorporate and they incorporate and they do their thing. And so that's really our topic for today for business owners. And maybe you've had a business for a year, maybe 10 years or 20 years. And what we're going to talk with Bo about is, you know, how did you start that? Are your incorporation documents up to, those have to change too as things move along, more importantly, on, on an ongoing basis. Talk mm-hmm. about minutes, if I were to poll business owners about meeting minutes and things that they have throughout the year, I don't know what that percentage would be, but I bet it would be low.
1: Do you think you'd maybe get, what do you mean by minutes?
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> minutes. Like you think of a board. Like 60 minutes? Think about a board, right? If you're on a nonprofit or a for-profit, when a board meets, what do they do, right? They have an agenda mm-hmm. and they have minutes. Mm-hmm. And then at the next meeting, what do you do? You approve the minutes, right? And yep. so that that is a nonprofit, right? They have to do that. Mm-hmm. Without that, they got an issue, right? And so that those are the things we all should be doing. So Bo's gonna talk to us about starting that. If you haven't kept up to date, what do you do today? And then you know how do you find or if you say, I don't even know where to start? One, we have some great resources here that right. our advisors can use. but two, you know, do you need a local person? What should that person have? Like how how do you even start that relation? Do you just Google, you know, lawyers in my area or what do you do? And right. so Bo's got some the cool part about Bo is attorneys fall in all kinds of categories. Some are very contract oriented. Hey, I'd love to read it. I'd love to spend eight hours writing it. Yep. If you got an issue, now you're talking more litigation <clears throat> and some of those attorneys or, or defense. Or defense. <laughs> some of those attorneys say, Well, that's not really my thing. Right. And so finding that balance of Somebody who says, you know, and you say to them, well, do you think we could stand on that? Like, do you think we could defend that? Do you think we could do that? And if that attorney says, well, yeah, I mean, I think so. Versus saying, absolutely. Like, this is something I have seen before. This is absolutely the right way we should do it. So it's finding that balancing act and having that person, not paying them every single day or every single month, but having that person that's familiar with your Mm -hmm. business that can kind of guide you through of course, with our help and the foundation of what you're doing is really what we're going to talk to Bo about.
1: Great. Well, I'll get out of here. I'll make give, uh give Bo my chair and I'll go dial in this smoker. All right. All right, I want to
0: welcome our guest to the show, Mr. Bo McGraw. Bo are you with me?
2: I'm with you. Good morning, Nate.
0: Well, thanks for, uh, for joining us today, uh, uh, Brian and I, and certainly Brian is not going to be on this portion of it, but we just uh, completed a little introduction and we introduced our topic for today, Bo, which is really, and we'll talk about you for a moment and then we'll walk into our topic, which is really about uh, the legal side of the business. And as we like to say in this show, uh, Bo is a lawyer. We are not, but we are not giving legal advice here. Is that correct, Bo? That is correct. <laughs> so we're going to talk in general about, you know, as a business owner, and it doesn't matter what business you're in, the things you should be doing, the important part about setup, ongoing, you know, what are those things as a business owner that you need to be doing to protect your business, to protect the relationships, the, the you know, the vendors you have, the other things that you're doing in your life, uh, which keeps it a business, continues to operate as a business. And we all sometimes have issues down the road, so do the best we can to not run into those, and if you do run into them, to uh, get through them in the best manner. So, Bo, why don't you start and tell us a little about yourself?
2: Sure, sure. Thanks, Nate, and thanks for having me on the show Absolutely. today. I really appreciate it. Um, I've had a chance to watch some of the podcasts in the in the past, and they seem really interesting and informative, so it's my hope that I can uh, contribute to that good history. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm, a, I'm a practicing attorney. I'm licensed in the state of Minnesota. i in, uh, in addition to the state, I'm licensed in the Federal District of Minnesota. I'm licensed in the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals, and I'm also licensed in the United States Supreme Court. I've been practicing law for almost 21 years. i got a, a broad-based practice. Uh, a lot of what I do is litigation-based uh, um, all kinds of anything that's a dispute. uh, I will litigate those matters. Um, And then I have a very healthy estate planning practice and along with a business um, incorporation related practice. Um, So I do a whole bunch and I've been doing a whole bunch for a long time. And um, I'm excited to to provide a little bit of guidance here this morning on what business owners uh, might encounter in the legal world.
0: Yeah. And I can, uh, I can vouch for Bo, what he just said. And we, we have a I've had a long-standing, you know, personal and professional relationship at Gradient with Bo, and he uh, provides external uh, legal counsel for us and, and in a lot of areas. And the one thing I'll say, um, you know, is that not all attorneys are are created equal. Some are more, uh, and you can correct me, Bo, but some are more litigators. Right? They do their best work, quote, in the courtroom. Others are contract lawyers, but don't really get into litigation. And so. I believe, you know, that one of the reasons we, we have an ongoing relationship with Bo is that that balancing act for us is important, right? You have to be able to set things up properly. Contracts have to be in place, but ultimately issues come up. And so my advice to people listening would be, if you don't have that trusted person, that attorney, and it doesn't mean you have to be paying them every day or every week, but that that understands something about your business, right? What you don't want to do is you have an issue... You pick up the phone, the yellow pages, and then you start calling through. Like you got to have some relationship with somebody that understands you, understands your business, and follows along. Bo do you would you agree with that concept to start?
2: I do. I do one hundred percent. And if you don't have that relationship yet and you're looking to form that relationship, mm-hmm. um one of the 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 suggestions I would make to you is that you you seek to, create a relationship with a lawyer that has seen the inside of a courtroom and even if you never want to see the inside of a courtroom and you view your business, any need, legal need going forward would be um, transactional or contractual in nature. Um, it's nice to have a lawyer that has litigated because what that lawyer can do in the drafting process um, with your transactional work is to avoid some of the pitfalls that lawyers that haven't been in a courtroom litigating these matters would otherwise not avoid. So when you're out there interviewing lawyers, you want to make sure that you can find somebody that's intelligent, somebody that's dependable, and somebody that has litigated matters because that's where lawyers learn how to avoid mistakes for future clients.
0: I would agree. So Bo, let's get into our topic for today, which is really what we just generally discuss, which is you know, protecting your business, setting it up, and then more, most importantly, on an ongoing basis, the things we as as business owners need to be doing, so let's start with the setup process. And you know, there are multiple ways to set up a business, but let's talk more specifically about you know the typical ones you see out there. You got an LLC, uh, you've got uh, you know a corporation, be it S, which is really not a full corp or a C corp. Why don't you talk a little about the kind of the setup, maybe some pros, some cons, and just some things for for people to think about as they're either setting up or they're already in an entity that maybe they don't fully understand.
2: Sure, sure. I'd be happy to do that, Nate. I, I think if I could just take, take a step back just for a moment, I, I think the first question that folks often ask is, why do I want to incorporate in some capacity? Why do I want to create an LLC? Why would I want to create a standard incorporated entity, which folks often refer to simply as an S um, And And the reason is, what we want to do is when you're out there engaging in your your business affairs and you're operating as a business you want to make sure that if you make a mistake or you enter into an arrangement that that later turns to turns into a problem that you're not putting your personal wealth or treasure um, at risk as you pursue your business endeavors so one of the beautiful things in our country is that folks that form a corporation and then adhere to the formalities required to maintain that corporation which we'll come back to in a minute you receive certain tax advantages and we're not going to get into that on this show because you're going to want to talk to an accountant um, on those matters and i'm not i'm not able to discuss those but what i can discuss with you is the number one reason why people do create these type of entities and that's because they want liability protection Um, in this country we encourage people to have an entrepreneur spirit and we allow them some protections if they seek to move forward um, and form businesses. So that's the primary reason you want to form an entity. Now, entity formation itself, what a lot of folks form is they form a C, or they form a standard incorporated entity. What I want to do, Nate, if you're okay, is just kind of walk through what's required for each one of those, because those really are the most popular entities that are created in, in the U.S. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, I suspect most that are listening to this podcast, um, some might be fi- financial service professionals. Other folks might do other forms of business. And I'm assuming a lot of you have already formed your entity. Um, but what I want to do is I want you to have kind of a walk away, a list here because a lot of folks think think they have formed their entity, but either they haven't done it properly, which means they don't have all the documents that are required to, to to receive the protections that the law allows them from a liability standpoint, and or they haven't maintained it properly. So let's go ahead and start with an LLC because an LLC is really the most popular entity that's created in whatever in state you reside in. So what do we need to form an LLC? The first thing that we need is we need what's called a certificate of formation. That's a document that is filed with the secretary of state for the state that you live in and your business operates in. Um, it's simply a one, sometimes two page document. You can find these online. Sometimes you even find them on the secretary of state's website, not encouraging any of you to do this yourself. I would recommend that you talk to an attorney about these things, but those were those, that's where those forms often reside. You file that with the state that you reside in, you pay a filing fee. You're off to the racist. The state has recognized you as an LLC, but that isn't the end of the documentation that's required. The next document that you need is what's called an operating agreement. And what the operating agreement is, that is the governing document of your corporation. What it does is it sets out something called member units. You've probably heard of shares. We'll come to shares because shares relate more to a general incorporated entity. But it lays out how many member units is this LLC going to hold and how are those member units going to be assigned? A lot of you listening to this are probably single member LLCs, which means you're everything in the LLC. Some of you are not. And to define the relationship between you and your other um, participants in your business, you assign something called the member units and that's contained in that document. The next thing that's going to be required is something called a contribution agreement the law. It requires that there's something contributed, some consideration that's given for the formation of an LLC. A dollar will suffice, $10. It's just got to be some monetary amount to show that you as the person that desires to form the LLC is contributing something to the business. And then you need minutes. You need minutes from that first meeting. And what that's going to do is that's going to go ahead and say, we've properly formed, we've filed our our necessary documents with the Secretary of State, we have an operating agreement, and now you're gonna define what roles you play within that LLC, and you're gonna delineate that in those first minutes. The LLC, the, one of the one of the primary differences, well, we'll come back to that. Let's talk about a general incorporated entity. A general incorporated entity is something that folks often refer to as an S Corp. That's a tax designation. That's not a legal designation. But when you see a business that says, john dole holdings inc that means it's a standard incorporated entity not an llc not much difference legally between the two but there's different documentation that's required the first document is what's called articles of incorporation that's similar to the certificate of formation again filed with the secretary of state in whatever state you reside in saying i wish to be recognized as a business please recognize me as such The next document that you have is something called bylaws. And the bylaws are similar to the operating agreement. It is the governing document for the business. You're not gonna assign member units like we talked about with the LLC. What you're gonna do with the bylaws is you're gonna assign shares to the various participants in the business. Same thing, just different terminology. The last document you need for a standard incorporated entity in the state that you reside in is minutes from the first meeting. What are we doing there? We're assigning roles within the business, whether it's going to be a secretary, a president, a treasurer, a vice president. We do that in those first meeting minutes. So the they're very similar in their scope, in what's required. The documentation is a little bit different. Depending on your state, oftentimes in LLC, there is a two-year renewal period where you got to make sure that you renew that LLC every two years. And if you don't, you will oftentimes lose the benefits of the LLC and you'll find out that it is now a defunct business. That's good. So that's kind of the way of the land need of the yeah, documents. Yeah, I, I think required. so let's let's
0: talk a little real world on some of this stuff. So you gotta remember, and I've got we've got a quite a bit of practice at this year. Bo's got a lot more practice at it from you know representing clients and other things. But you gotta remember people that have an issue with you, I don't care if it's a client, a vendor, a a state, whatever it is, they don't, the the reason that they come after you or they get upset with you is not so that you can prove, well, I don't think you have an LLC and I don't think, it starts somewhere else, right? It starts in a complaint, uh, a contractual disagreement. And then Bo, let's talk about where this leads to in terms of kind of the ongoing, right? They start somewhere else and then they dig and they dig and they dig. And so a real-world scenario being, well, Nate or whoever, you know, you have an LLC, this is your business, right, that we have an issue with. Now, is that actually a business that you run, Nate? Well, of course it is, yeah. Well, can you prove it to me? Can you show me how this business operates, what it does? Uh, It says here on your documents that Susie is your secretary, is that correct? Uh, Well, no, she actually hasn't been with me for seven years. Well, yeah. how how, did, how does that work? Where, where do I see that? And that's where most business owners fall down. And if you think about the clients that advisors work with, when you ask them, do you have a will? Do you have a trust? Most of them say, yes, I do. And then when you start reading through that, what happens? They say, well, you know, I haven't probably updated that in five years or eight years. And it still lists their ex-spouse or it still lists a child. And they say, well, I didn't know that you know, Johnny or Jimmy was gonna get that much money. And so maybe both you could talk a little bit about you know not specific real world scenarios, but but kind of that yeah. light of it's never a problem until it is. And then when it is, you can't go recreate eight years worth of of work that should have been done.
2: Absolutely Nate. No, 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 it's it's an excellent point. And so that's why I wanted to chat a little bit about why do we do this? Right. Well, because we get extraordinary relief. We get liability protection that normal individuals don't get. So here's the first walkway for all that you are, are listening out there. I want you to go dig that book out. It's probably full of dust. It might be somewhere in your desk drawer. It might be at home in a safe or it might be in a safety deposit box at the bank. I want you to pull that book out of your governing documents. And I want you to go ahead and I want you to make sure that every one of those documents are there that you've got your operating agreement, you've got your contribution agreement. I want to make sure they're there. And then I want to make sure they're up to date. Um, if some of you created your entity at home and yourself and you didn't do those other documents, it's time to meet with a lawyer, get those other documents done, okay? The next thing I want you to do is I want to make sure that your minutes are up to date because we're talking about liability protection. And I shared at the outset of this, this podcast that I've got significant litigation experience. If I'm going to sue a business, what I want to do is because I know a lot of times the business doesn't hold assets. So I'm trying to find my way to the business owner. It's called piercing the corporate veil. And so what I do is as a part of the discovery, if I'm suing the business, is I'm going to request all of these documents. And if I find out that the defendant in the lawsuit, the business doesn't have all those documents in order, even from a formation stage, I'm going to use that as a basis to pierce the corporate veil. But the next thing I'm going to look at is I'm going to see the last time they had a meeting and then reflected in minutes. Because again, we get this or as business owners, we get this extraordinary shield against personal liability for business related litigation, but we only get it if we act almost perfectly. So what you'll, what you have to do is every quarter or, or thereabouts you're going to need to have, Minutes that reflect meetings that occurred where business matters were discussed. So you're going to want to go back through that book and see whether or not that you in fact, um, maintained minutes for meetings. If you didn't, no guilt, let's get started now. So what you want to do is every quarter, you want to go ahead and have a meeting with some respect, and even if it's a single member LLC and you say i'm I'm my own business and I'm doing this by myself, make some notes. Put the date on there. Talk about, put in writing what you thought about or your plans were for the business and make sure that those documents are held and they're held for quarterly minutes in your corporate book in case you have a problem.
0: Yeah, I, I think, you know, that, that's a huge one and, and every single one of us gets busy in what we're doing. But if you look at a business, any business over the last six years and you say to yourself, or what are you really trying to accomplish in those minutes? You're trying to say to yourself, what has changed in my business? throughout the course of that time could be key people. It could be, you know, what is your business venture about? You know, you started in mortgages and all of a sudden it's, you know, tax and other things. Like, you know, and then let's say you started in mortgage and then you moved into tax and other areas. And then you have a an issue in one of those areas. And, and to Bo's point, that attorney is going to say, well, help me help me understand kind of the evolution of that, because frankly I don't see any of that in documentation. And most people are gonna struggle with that. So the minutes, how your business operates, what it does, how those changes came to be, how you decided to go that direction, what key people were involved, like those are the things you're documenting. So that you can put a roadmap together of here's what my business has looked like over the last two years, five years, ten years. Is that Bo, is that is that an accurate statement?
2: It's a hundred percent accurate Nate. And, and for those of you listening, you know, d- don't let this be that issue that you feel like you don't even want to tackle because you haven't kept minutes over the last many number of years. We just start now. We right. start now. We have no guilt. We're going to start now and we're going to make sure going forward, we do it right. And we hope we never have a problem. We hope nobody says, provide me your book of, of minutes, but if they do, you have it. Right. That's the purpose of it. Yeah. I, and, I, I, and the I, other thing, Go ahead, Nate. I'm sorry. Oh, go ahead, Bob. Yeah, I was just going to say the the other thing that's really nice about about the minutes is Nate mentioned at the outset of at this port this uh, this portion of of the discussion that um, you know let's say Susie Smith is no longer your secretary and, and John Doe is no longer your your treasurer. Um, the 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 way to make that change and to show that change is in those minutes that you'll keep as you go forward every quarter.
0: Right. That's uh. Uh, so th- those are all real-world things that we need to be doing, and I have no statistics to back this up, but I'm going to guess most small businesses out there, if you said, let me see your corporate record books, I don't think they would be in wonderful condition. Would you Would you bet against me, Bo?
2: I've never had a client <laughs> that's been sued as a defendant, that's a business, that had their minutes in order. Right, I haven't. Right. So, So all of you listening hopefully you're never going to get sued, but if you do, you're going to have minutes to show your attorney.
0: Yep. And that's, that's uh, uh, one of the things that we do here, right? If you're an advisor that works with gradient and and this is for a different day, but Bo actually helps us, helps our team here with our operations university, which is really what he's been talking about. The foundation of a business is your foundation set up, which gets into a whole other set of area about succession planning you know, should your wife or your significant other own a part of your business? Should they not? Do you have key employees that should be, you know, part owners or part not? Those are the things that if you haven't taken advantage, you're an advisor that works with us of the operations university, of succession planning, right? What we're talking about here today is kind of the the one oh one level. And then it gets into how can you that's the defensive side of it, how can you use that to, fet- to better your business, to further your business. And so if you haven't done that, I would highly encourage you to, to do so. Um, and then Bo, if we could move into, let's talk about employees for a little bit and obviously documentation and doing that. But let's talk about if you have some employees, be it a, a secretary, a key employee who you think you could take over your business someday. Let's talk about, you know, some basics of agreements and documents and things that, that you believe are a good idea.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I'd be happy to Nate. So, so a lot of us, you know, a lot of you listening to this podcast probably live in States where it's considered at will employment. And so you might say to yourself, well, if it's an at will employment state where the benefit then is the employer, you can terminate somebody as long as it's not discriminatory for almost any reason at all. Why would I want something in writing? And the answer is this: is is you're going to want to have an employment agreement with with every one of your employees. If it's a low-level employee, you want an employment agreement. If it is a high-level employee, somebody that's working in your space that does consist that does activities related to the business that that you do yourself, you still want an employment agreement. There's a level of honesty to an employment agreement between the employer and the employee, whereby the role of that employee's um, the role of the employee within the business is properly defined. Um, so you're going to want employment agreements for one reason. The first reason is because you can define that role in that relationship. And that's important because to the extent that you're reviewing that person's work, you have the ability to come back to that defined role. The other reason that you want that employee agreement is because you've worked really hard to create this business and you want to protect it. You've probably got a good name in your community And you want to make sure that should something happen, you've got an employee, things just didn't work out. You want to make sure that that employee can't go out and and badmouth you or your business. That's the that's one of the first things you're seeking to protect, because we all work really hard to protect our good name. So within the context of this employment agreement, you have an opportunity to put something in there that you would have a hard time getting by law if you didn't have it. It's called a non disparagement agreement. And as long as the employee signs the employment agreement, the non-disparagement is laid out in that employee agreement, employment agreement rather, then you will have the ability should that employee go out and try to um, say negative things about your business to stop that. Any court will intervene. A non-disparagement agreement from every state within this country is something that can be contracted for and a court will step in and protect you. Another item that you're gonna want in this employment agreement is something called a non-solicitation, a non-solicitation clause. And and why do we want this? Well, because employees oftentimes are like you are listening. They have goals and aspirations about having their own business. And you don't want them to try to take from your business to try to create their own. A non-solicitation agreement will restrict that employee's ability to go out and solicit people that they came into contact with while they were working for your business. Again, like the non-disparagement agreement, non-solicitation agreements are largely held up in every state in the country, even California, which is probably the most employee forward state in our country. um, Because um, courts have resoundedly upheld non-solicitation agreements, it should be something that finds its way into every one of your employment agreements. Um, the last item that you're gonna want in this employment agreement by way of protecting all that you have built is something called a non-competition, non-compete agreement. Um, what you don't want is we're talking about those kind of key employees, these folks that are ambitious, you're hiring them because they're ambitious and they're, they're out and, and, and trying to develop, their, they're developing your business while they're working with you, but they might have aspirations of forming their own business. You don't want them to set up shop next to you and you don't want them to set up shop down the road. You want to be able to compete, You want to continue to grow your business the way you have in the geographical area that you've chose to grow your business in a non-competition agreement should find its way into every employment agreement. And what it does is it restricts the ability of an employee, an employee that leaves to come back and compete with your business. Now, Unlike the non-disparagement agreement and the non-solicitation agreements, courts are very skeptical when they look at non-competition agreements. Some states, they, they're not recognized at all. Um, most states, they are. And don't shy away from putting one in an employment agreement because you think maybe that an, that an employee would have success should the matter be litigated. Start with it in your document here's what you got to make sure to keep in mind, whatever state you live in out there, again, I'm not giving legal advice because I'm only licensed in Minnesota. Um, So talk to a lawyer within the state that you reside, but a non-competition agreement will be looked at by a court to make sure it's reasonable. And you say reasonable to what? It's going to be reasonable. It has to be reasonable in two ways. Number one, scope. You can't say if an employee leaves that that employee can't, can't go set up a a, a, a place that's uh, a business that would otherwise be competing with you. That is, you know, 200 miles away, for instance, you have to be limited in scope um, as to what, what is your business and how is that defined and make sure that that non-competition agreement reflects that that employee should he or she leave can't compete within your geographical area. And it must be reasonable. The second thing, it must be reasonable as to duration. You can't say that this goes on forever. You have to have a period of time that's defined. Sometimes it might be a year. Sometimes it might be two years. I've seen them as long as five years, but I would I would caution you to go out too far, and you want to make sure that, again, you're getting legal advice in the state in which your business operates in. What it does to the non-competition agreement In the non-solicitation agreement, there's a practical side of it. Now there might be a violation. There might be a fight in court. We don't know there oftentimes is. However, what they do is they buy you time. They allow you to get back in front of those clients that you have to make sure that they are firmly with you. Even if their primary contact um, had been with the key employee that is now leaving, you get this grace period. You get an opportunity to go out and re firm up those relationships that's really a benefit that should be in every document that you draft as it relates to employment agreements.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think those are all, uh, you know, very valid things. And, and when Bo talks about each one of these things, I don't care if it's formation, I don't care if it's ongoing employment, minutes, right? These are not standalone documents that you complete once and you put them in your file cabinet and you say, okay, we're, you know, we're good. We set it up seven years ago, we're good. The employment side of it changes over time, right? Somebody who started as a secretary who's now a key employee, right? That employment agreement might change over time, right? There's a uh, something that the employee is giving up, something that the employer is giving up in form of reward or other other things as duties change. So, I think the key element here, and and I mentioned it once, but a foundation of getting this going, making sure you're on the is our operations university, is our succession planning, and what Bo mentioned is. Finding and interviewing a qualified candidate in your area that understands your area, understands your business, understands your state, and and they they practice in that state and in that area. So that person can also help you to say on every three months or every six months, you know, here's what we need to be doing to update those, to keep them accurate. And if you do that, it doesn't mean you're going to stay out of any issues, but it does mean when you get into an issue... You're not going to look back over the last six years and say, "Man, I, I probably should have done things different. I probably should have updated my documents. I probably should have." So this is an all-encompassing topic, uh, and it's not an easy one. It's a difficult one. But like Bo said, if you're looking at it, saying, "Well, I don't know if I can locate those," the time to start or the time to update them is now. There is no purpose in burying your head in the sand and saying, "You know, I don't have it. I haven't had it. Things are good." Because things are good until they're not, and when they're not is the time where you have to be able to have somebody and have the documentation in place. So all very valid points, and uh, we can certainly help to assist to get you moving in that direction if that's something that uh, something that you
2: need. we We can. and um, you know, I know this isn't a plug for operations University, but it's really, really a well run um, f- seminar. And a lot of the documents that we've talked about here relative to the employment agreement that encompasses those protective capacities that you're allowed um, to have in a, in a contract. We, we provide samples to folks that, that come in and and visit uh, an operations university and um, there's some really good stuff that you can walk away with and use um, in your business practice.
0: Very good. Well, what else, Uh, any other tips, any other things um, that we have before we close here?
2: No, no. I would just say, you know, it's about attitude um, and it's about not letting fear guide you um, from making sure that that you've got the documents in place. We start today. um, And if things were were missing in the past, we're going to fix them today. Um, So if there's a problem, you have what you need, but you're not going to go ahead and dwell on what you don't have. Let's just go ahead and and figure it out from this point going forward.
0: Very good. Well, Bo, I want to thank you for being on. Uh, Thank you for giving I think some very practical advice, and again, Bo's homework to everybody was uh, find your documents, perhaps read them. That's a good place to start, and then figure out you know how, what what needs to change, what needs to happen. Uh, certainly, through our opsU and our succession planning is a good path for those advisors that work with us. Uh, but take some effort and take some energy, and if you do that, you may never be a hundred percent, but you'll certainly be in that 90, 95 percent range, which. Uh, which is better than most. So thank you for, uh, for joining us today.
2: Thanks for having me, Nate. I really enjoyed it.
0: All right. Have a great day.